Grace and peace be yours from God our Father and from his Son, Jesus Christ, who is risen just as he said. Part of God's word that we meditate on today comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 22. We read, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. These are the words. May the Holy Spirit bless our study of them. Amen. These words were written by the Apostle Peter, the Apostle who couldn't keep his mouth shut. You probably remember that when Jesus told his disciples that he would die on a cross, Peter said, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Or when Jesus taught his disciples a lesson about service by washing their feet, Peter spoke up and said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And later that very evening, when Jesus predicted that Peter would betray him, that he would deny knowing him three times, Peter said, Nope. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Peter's pride was forever telling him, I know better. But God was patient with Peter. And years later, we find that he is a different man. Not a perfect one, but wiser in the Lord. The first verse of our sermon reading, Peter counsels his fellow Christians to sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. 
sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. In other words, set Christ apart above all the rest. Keep him where he belongs in your heart, up there, above your pride, above your self-importance, above your know-it-all mind. And why? Well, Peter tells us that in verse 18. Because Christ also died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. You know, the fact that Jesus is the eternal Son of God is enough reason for us to set him apart as Lord in our hearts. But you know, Peter doesn't just tell us to set apart Christ because he is sovereign. No, he leads us first to, to set apart Christ because he's our Savior. He died for our sins. Through his death, we were brought back to God. When Adam and Eve sinned, God kicked them out of the garden of Eden. They could no longer live with him. Their sins made that impossible. And there was no way for them to go back into the garden. God set a, an, a mighty angel with a flaming sword at its entrance. But now, Christ has atoned for our sins. And through, through faith, it's as if he takes us by the hand and leads us back to that garden. And that mighty angel with the flaming sword steps aside. And with Christ leading, we are allowed back into the presence of God. You see, this is the heart of the Bible's message. This is why Peter tells us to set apart Christ in our hearts, because Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Now, at this point, we might ask ourselves a question. Am I just? Am I sinless and perfect and holy? Or am I unjust, sinful, imperfect, unholy? If you're like me, you're unjust. And if that's the case, then Christ died for your sins to bring you back to God. This is why we set him apart as Lord in our hearts. He has brought us back to our creator. Peter calls us to a mindset that lifts up Jesus. And then he tells us what that's going to mean for our lives. He says, if Christ has saved you, then always be ready to speak a word of defense concerning the hope of heaven that you have. I believe that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. 
I believe that he has taken all of my sins away, past, present, and future, because that's what he tells me. I believe that if I was to die today, I would be welcomed into the presence of God, not because of anything I've ever done, because I'm a sinner who doesn't deserve that. I would be welcomed into the presence of God because of what Jesus has done for me, what he did on the cross for you and for the world. But just because I believe this doesn't mean that I'm always ready to explain it or defend it. Social interactions aren't always easy for me. Sometimes I can be awkward or silent because I'm afraid of what other people might say or think. The Apostle Paul had this problem too. Early in his ministry, Paul felt anxious about speaking. In 1 Corinthians 2, he writes, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human, human wisdom. Paul trembled. He wasn't always full of confidence. And this is all the more reason for us to practice setting Christ apart as Lord in our hearts. People are going to ask us what we believe. Or we're going to have opportunities, openings, to tell people about their Savior. Let's do what we can to be ready when that happens. Ready to speak. One way to, to be ready is to actually practice. You know, people who do well in debates, they don't do well because they're necessarily really good at thinking on their feet. They do well because they practice their responses. You know, your favorite comedian may laugh at his own jokes like he's hearing them for the first time, but he isn't. Comedians don't come up with their jokes on stage. They memorize them and practice them ahead of time. If a friend asked you, so what do you, what do you actually believe about this whole God thing? What would you say? And if she followed up that question by asking, okay, well, what led you to that conclusion? Would you just stand there with your mouth open? Or would you be ready to defend your faith with words? Peter tells us that there's a right way to do this and a wrong way. He says that when we speak, we need to use words that are gentle and reverent. We need to be gentle towards those who don't know Christ yet. People who may at some times be rude to us. People who may even be unfair 
we need to speak with reverence toward the God who made us and redeemed us and still preserves us each and every day. What we can't do is respond like we see so often out in social media with careless words, unkind words, impatient words, words that treat people as if they have no value, words that treat others like enemies to be ridiculed instead of human beings that God cherishes and wants to live with him forever. Proverbs 12:16 says, A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. Let's not be fools when we tell the world about our hope and their hope. Peter also tells us how to live before we're called to speak. In verse 16, he says, Keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. You know, when people disagree about important issues, sometimes they turn to character assassination. Instead of arguing the issue, they point out flaws in the other person. Peter tells us, be the kind of person that that isn't going to work on. Be the kind of person whose reputation lifts up people's estimation of Christ instead of lowering it. How we live reflects on our Savior. Are people going to go, that's how Christians act? That's not what we want. Peter says we may face even more than slander. He says that we may even face violence because of our faith. In verse 17, he writes, For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. The fact is, you and I are going to suffer in this life to some degree. The question is, are we going to suffer justly because of evil things that we've done? Or are we going to suffer for doing the right thing, for carrying out God's good and perfect will in this world? Because if that's what happens, that's an honor. You know, much of, much of Peter's first letter is about that kind of suffering. Suffering that comes on a person not simply because they live in a sin-broken world, but because they're living out their faith. They're using words and making choices that line up with God's will. He tells us in our sermon reading for today that if we're going to suffer because of our faith in Jesus there are some things that we should remember, encouraging things. First of all, we should remember that Jesus suffered before us. Verse 18, 
For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus suffered injustice to the point of death on a cross, but after that suffering came glory. On the third day, he was raised to life eternal. He descended into hell to proclaim his victory over all the forces of evil. He ascended up into the sky to the Father's right hand. And he reigns at this very moment over the whole universe, all power and authority having been bestowed upon the God-man, our Savior. But he had to suffer first. Only after his mission to rescue sinners was complete did this glory come. And he tells us to expect the same thing, the same pattern, that first will come the suffering, and then the glory. First will come the humbling, and then heaven. Secondly, when we suffer for Christ, Peter directs us to be patient, to remember that God knows what he's doing because he has been rescuing people for a very long time. Verse 19 says, He went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through the water. Peter remembers how thousands of years ago the world had rejected God. It was ripe for judgment, but he was patient. He waited as Noah built the ark. By some estimations, 75 years. For years, God's word went out through Noah's preaching. But in the end, only eight were saved. A tiny number of believers. But God still rescued them, and in dramatic fashion. I mean, I can't even imagine what it must have been like to hunker down in that boat as the storms raged outside and the world died. I mean, we think we're fed up with quarantine. Think of Noah's family stuck in that boat for a whole year. But in time, God caused the waters to dry up. And then God's rescued people stepped out of the ark. If we suffer because of our faith, we can remember that Noah's God is our God, and he knows how to rescue. Thirdly, when we suffer for Christ, Peter directs us to remember that the flood wasn't the first, or wasn't the only time God rescued his people through water. Today, he makes sinners into saints 
through the waters of baptism. I think maybe this, this comparison sounds strange to us, but when God sent the waters of the flood, they saved Noah and his family. They lifted up the ark above the destruction below. And in the same way, today, baptism lifts sinners up above the judgment to come. Because baptism connects us to Jesus. Like it says in Galatians 3, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Through God's gift of baptism, our souls cry out for cleansing. And through the faith that the Holy Spirit works, that cleansing is ours. Verse 21, Peter says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to stop here for just a moment and try to explain this logic. The way I understand it is this, that baptism is powerful because it connects us to Jesus and what he did on the cross. And what Jesus did on the cross is verified by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. You see, Jesus during his ministry explained a lot of, th or claimed a lot of things for himself. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the Savior of the world. He claimed that after his death on the cross, he would rise from the dead on the third day. And the thing is, only God can raise the dead. So if Jesus was a liar, if he wasn't the Son of God, if he wasn't the Savior of the world, then God would have left him in the grave. But God didn't do that. God raised him from the dead. And in doing so, God put his stamp of approval on everything that Jesus claimed and promised. He is the eternal Son of God. He is the one who has made our sins forgiven. Because He lives, we too shall live. This is what the resurrection says. And we might need to keep leading our broken consciences back to the gospel to see these truths. But the facts is the facts. Our sins have been washed away. In summary, when we suffer because of our faith in Jesus, Peter says we should remember he suffered first to bring us to God. Sometimes God's people have to wait but he knows how to rescue, and he will at the right time. And even today, he is continuing to rescue people through the waters of baptism, 
connecting us to God so that our consciences are continually cleansed and heaven is open to us. This is why Peter encourages us to keep Christ set apart as Lord in our hearts. The one who reigns over the universe right now, that's the one we want to be calling the shots in our heart. And we need this encouragement from him. Because we're more like Peter than we imagine. Sometimes our hearts say the same things that he did. I'm tired of doing it your way, Lord. Can I take this shortcut? I'm sure it'll work out fine. Lord, what you said, I just don't understand how that could happen. I just don't see it. Lord, I've thought it through. My way is better. Lord, I won't fall away. I'm strong. These are things Peter said. And like Peter, sometimes we think the same way. We have trouble remembering that Jesus is our Lord, not us. If we're his followers, then he's the one who's supposed to be in charge. He's the one who knows better. So let us humbly return to his cross. And kneeling before him, let us pray for his forgiveness, knowing that we have it. He is our master, but he is also our savior. And that makes him our loving king. Lord Jesus, reign in our hearts. Amen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.